You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beard. Let's get to it, New York. Gallo, I think in many ways when I like to talk to Knicks fans or, or introduce Knicks people to the podcast, I think a great tell for an audience to say, you know, what is this guy about? What is his age? What is, who is he as a Knicks fan? I think the best way to do that off jump is to ask simply, when you think about your your, your most memorable moments, your greatest mm-hmm. moments as a Knicks fan, um, both in joy and in pain, which are the two moments you would stick out to you and say, yeah, those are the ones I think about the most as a fan still? Well, I think there's not a lot of joy. We're 31 years old. There's not a lot of joy. <laughs> exactly. We'll, we'll start with the good. I think my earliest memory, and I'm not going to act like I was locked in, but my earliest memory is the LJ four-point play. 100%. Hmm. I probably am not a Knicks fan if that doesn't happen. I, anything could have happened at that point. Nets, Spurs, anything. But that had me locked in. He was my favorite player growing up at that point. So it was monumental. And you know this. I'm a big mellow guy. And this yeah. is such a – I hate to say, you point this as a moment of joy, as like a big moment of joy. But Easter Day, mellow, bulls. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's not much – I mean, like, there's most of my memories are meaningless games. But to me, that was a special moment. <laughs> they were very good that year. And, and, and not to discredit the last two out of three years, but there wasn't like right. a moment I could pinpoint with Brunson or Randall that mm. I would say is like, a monumental moment. So those are my two biggest. And then yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, quickly on the joy. I'm, it's funny you mentioned the LJ play because I feel like when I ask a lot of Nick fans of our age group, they run to that, and mm-hmm. it's interesting to me because it's a it's a play I remember like it was yesterday. I again that whole playoffs I remember very well because I talked about it on the podcast. Like a lot of it was like me going crazy, my dad being at work and me being excited to tell him when he came home, like what happened though. He had already heard it on the radio at his job, but like still like that. So that play, you know, I remember deeply as well, but like I always, for me, and I said on the show, like it's the one Knicks picture that hangs in my apartment. It is, um, you know, I think about the Allen Houston shot against Miami and and, and that, that, that game five shot. And to me, like it's funny that I think most Knicks fans, though, I think they they side with you. They already they, they run to the four point play. I think for me, because it was so close to the finals loss, it almost like lessened it for me in my head. Because I feel like at that time, maybe I would say LJ's four point play because you know it was on the way to the Knicks making the NBA finals. But I guess to me, I think of like 
oh yeah, that was a big game to get us to the finals, and then we got stomped by San Antonio. Yeah, well, I that Knicks team deceivingly was an eight seed, but it was a short season. They probably yeah. were not an eight seed on a full right. season. I think it's because of what it's my earliest memory, and right. it almost feels like is you forget how good they were for that three year span, even after the LJ play, and right. I it feels so far and apart from. The Allen Houston, you know, they what did they go to the Eastern Conference Finals the next year or two years after that? So yeah, that it felt far and wide apart. And then, I mean, as in a, in college, as in a, after going through those bad years, that mellow play stuck with me, and that's that's probably the one I put up there the most, just because it right. felt like I could fully appreciate it. I was an adult, you know, yeah. we were out watching the games in the city every every game we watched in the city, um, because we couldn't afford to get into the garden, but <laughs> of course. Yeah, as we see the, you can see the tickets now. I was yeah, talking well, to my girlfriend. I still can't afford to get the tickets. I know, yeah. yeah. I was talking, and you know, I saw the, the tickets, and you there are some NBA teams where you could literally watch every home game for the team for the cost of you know one Knicks ticket on Christmas Day or one yeah. Knicks ticket on so on no, opening night against the Celtics this season. I'm here with uh WF fans Anthony Gallo here on Orange and Blue Bloods. So we had the positive part, and I'm glad you mentioned the mellow thing because I've talked about that a bunch on the on the podcast as well. Mm-hmm. That being uh, maybe my favorite Carmelo Anthony moment as a Nick. Uh, now the paint, which I know for Knicks fans, there's, there's plenty. There's plenty. But if you had to pin it to one, what would it be? I'm going to keep it to a game and not draft okay. night or trades. But right. again, sticking with Melo, Melo getting blocked against oh, yeah. Roy Hibbert. And not that we were going to win a title. It just felt like that was the best team that we've had. And we should have went farther than they went. So yeah. that sticks with me the most. And I guess one of those one of those devastating losses with the Allen Houston teams, because I can go through a lot of things, you know, making the playoffs with Marbury and getting smoked by the Nets was devastating. That was because, rough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, also because I lived in Jersey and I didn't hate the Nets, but like just right. living in Jersey and all my friends being Nets fans, that was the right. first time we like butted heads. And yeah. I don't think there's a rivalry there, but there is now. Yeah, yeah, no, there's definitely animosity there. And on the, the Marbury team getting swept, I remember a lot of Knicks fans at that time feeling optimistic that like yeah. they could win that I series or them. at least or at least push that team to a six or seven game series because of how well Steph was playing. He had just got traded over from Phoenix. He kind of changed the course of the season for the Knicks. Knicks snuck yeah. into the playoffs. And that was if I had to be honest, that was probably the beginning of my I don't know if I call it hatred, but like that feeling of like dislike for the Nets probably began there. Like I know we can talk about Prokhorov and Jay Z and the blueprint of you know blueprint of success billboard that was outside of Madison Square Garden that they posted when they became uh, owners of the Nets. But uh, to me, like the the Nets and then Richard Jefferson talked about it a bunch. And he carries it with him in his commentary today. Like. The Nets had real disdain for the Knicks because of the attention they got because it was New York City and they were a team at that time that was that went to the NBA Finals two years in a row. They that were a, great were team. a truly elite team in the NBA, and they took that like disrespect that they felt that they were having in the tri-state area and brought it to that series. You had the Kenyon Martin, Tim Thomas beef. Yeah. Um, the, the Jason Kidd got into the face of Frank Williams in game one. Like they played with a level of intensity that I don't think that the Knicks clearly were not ready for. I mean, again, they, they got absolutely smoked in smoked. that series, but they kind of played with kind of a little bit of a chip and an edge that rubbed me the wrong way during that series. And Jason Kidd is my, is one of my all-time favorite athletes. He's one of my Same. all-time favorite basketball players. Yep. But like, that was the moment where I was kind of like, uh, 
I didn't like how they kind of did the Knicks in that oh, series, especially because they knew they knew that they could just double Steph every time they crossed half court, and then that they the other Knicks couldn't do anything. Like I was like, all right, guys, you know you're you're you had a great strategy, and you have a much more talented team. Like they're flexing, like they were, they were winning a championship. Well, for me, the when if we talk about disdain, I don't really have disdain for the Nets anymore. Right. But it was when they traded for Paul Pierce and like the washed up Pierce and Garnett right. teams, where it was like two guys I couldn't stand, especially Paul Pierce, I could not stand because even when the Celtics were bad, he killed yeah. the Knicks. But um, yeah, that was for me. It was just devastating. It, it, if it wasn't for my friends, it wasn't necessarily the Nets. It was the fact that I grew up around Nets fans or Fugazi Net fans. And yes, I'm calling them <laughs> out right now because they only watch when they're good. Um, yeah. But that definitely hurt. I mean, we we could I could have went down draft night trades right. that were just worse. You know, Bogani trade ripped my soul out. All yeah. that stuff. The draft yeah. we could go the the draft and the good picks they did make they traded away whether it was Ariza or Nene. Ariza, yeah. The first guy I thought about was Ariza. That's what that's the first one you went yes. to. Yeah, there there's plenty. Of I those. forget he played for the team for a little bit. He did. And he was good. And yeah. and what was crazy about the Ariza era with the Knicks, which was one season. I don't even know if it was a full season. Was it that Lyle Brown? Lyle Brown hated him. Lyle yeah. Brown is like, I, that's funny, you know, not to steal a, a thing from our good buddy uh, Ryan Hickey, but it, like I do also think a lot about like topics or things on the shower. And I was thinking like I would love to talk to Devon Marbury on this podcast. And I don't know how Nick fans would feel, but I think they mostly would like it. But like because I'd love to hear like what it was like playing for Lyle Brown because he coached like a bozo from the outside. And I can't imagine like it was like better on the inside, but I would love to kind of know like was there anything worthwhile about that Larry Brown experience? Because Larry Brown like hated rookies, and Larry Brown thought that Trevor Reza, who's 19 years old, he's a freshman out of UCLA, left early, was drafted by the Knicks in the second round, and flashed immediately. Great defense, amazing athlete. He wasn't a great shooter at that time, but a guy who clearly had talent, a guy who was clearly going to be an NBA player. And Larry Brown felt like he was entitled and wouldn't play him. And wouldn't play him, and it, it was kind of the first contention with him and Isaiah Thomas at that time. And then eventually, he convinced Isaiah Thomas to ship him out. It was like, and, and that was a guy that ended up being a championship role player for the Lakers. He's yeah, like the Laker fans, and they love Trevor Ariza. Right, they, they, a lot of them didn't like when they let him walk, even though they got Ron Artest last Meta World Peace uh, to come to come back uh, in free agency at that point in time. Like, and, and the Knicks just gave him away. Well, they, it's funny you bring up Larry Brown because I always think about it. The first Knicks game I ever went to was it was Larry Brown was, it was the coach, but he wasn't on the bench. It was like second to last game. I remember they're playing the Bucks. It was like Nate Robinson was the only guy in the Knicks that suited up that night. Yeah. And we got tickets and each ticket. My dad had Larry Brown. I had Q Rich. My sister had a Marbury ticket. None of those guys were there. Or Q Rich was in, <laughs> was in street clothes. Yeah. And that was, I think the Marbury uh, Isaiah Thomas stuff was going on. And he wasn't there. And Larry Brown just wasn't there. And and also, us being in the age group we were, I look at Larry Brown as the reason why he kind of stifled AI. So I also held that against right, him. Because right, that yeah. was my favorite player growing up. Like, Same. Like, yeah. I loved Larry Johnson when he meant, like, actual favorite player. Like, that was my guy. Yeah, I don't know if there's ever, besides John Starks when I was super, super young, there's never been a Nick that's been my favorite player in the NBA. Well, I, I to be fair, I loved Melo. So when we got him. Right. That was and, the only time, but that was I told like you, 21. Yeah, and I told you this before, but Melo was Melo was my favorite player in the NBA before he became a Nick. Like he was my for a long time. Like, you know, I, I loved him coming out of Syracuse, and yeah. then I is rookie year, but I was team Melo over LeBron all day from Same. day one. You he know, got robbed so, the rookie of the year. That was probably yeah, the he year. absolutely got robbed rookie of the year. 
But like he was like my guy. So the whole mellow again, I, I kind of it, it kind of went to a point where I was like, I like I, I did not want him to be I wanted him on the Knicks, but like it like clouded everything. Like, you know, because now you're invested in your team and how they win and and how he's related to that winning. Oh, and it, it just it messed everything up. Like I I feel like I in some ways because the Knicks didn't win anything, I almost wish Mello was never a Knicks. Because otherwise, I'd probably be his biggest stand. But because he was, I can say, well, I don't like how he didn't play defense enough, or I didn't like how he didn't, you know, come in free agency except as a demanding a trade. Like all those different things kind of cloud my love for uh, Carmelo Anthony. Well, there were, actually that whole team, to be honest, when we had Kid, Rasheed Wallace, yeah. Mello, these were Kenny Martin, um, Marcus. Well, Marcus can be obviously second tenure, but these were guys I grew up like loving, especially yeah. guys like Rasheed Wallace and Kid. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. I guess you could count that, but I mean like actual long tenured Knicks, not guys that right. played half a season or a full season with them. You got Anthony Gallo with me from WFAN. Gallo, when you talk about the current state of the team's uh, direction, how satisfied are you where they at right now? You know, they they just came off a season. You had a a pretty successful playoff run. You make the playoffs as a fifth seed. You, you upset. I put in quotation marks the Cavs, uh, but you did upset them, beat them in five games. You go to the second round. You lose to the Miami Heat team, a team that was seeded eighth, but a team that did go to the NBA Finals. Yeah. Um, where do you see the Knicks now with the moves they made this offseason? You uh, let Derrick Rose walk. You trade Obi Toppin. You bring in Dante DiVincenzo. Are you pleased with the direction of the team thus far? I'd probably say eight out of 10. And that's just because like, if they got that next piece, that big piece, I probably right. would say 10 out of 10, but I haven't been this confident probably in my life at where they're headed. Obviously when they had mellow, it was just like, this is it. This is the best we're going to get. We're probably never going to beat the heat. Even if we were as good as anyone else in the NBA, we were never going to beat that heat team. This feels like a team that can do damage to steal a line from my, our, our coach. <laughs> hey, Lugie, but, yeah. I'm very confident, and even though the Heat, went, you know, the Heat went to the finals, but they were one possession away from forcing the game seven. I, yep, I think they that were. they don't get any credit for their moves. You know, you hear me on Twitter all the time. If other teams did what the Knicks were doing right now, they'd be nationally praised for the way that they've right. done it. But because it's the Knicks, they don't get it. The Obi Toppin trade, I hated the return, but I don't know what the market was for him. So right. that might have been the only market they had. And then you hear that there might have been a riff, which is unconfirmed, but. That, so I, I can't blame him for that. So I'm very confident. I love the Dante move. I love the small pieces they brought in on the bench. Um, and there's not a team in a better position. If Dame Lillard didn't force his hand in Miami, there wouldn't be a team in a better position that's ready to win now like the Knicks have when it comes to upgrading for that mega piece. You know, you could say the Thunder or the Rockets, but I don't think they're getting a major piece because right. of where they're at. So, like, the Knicks have the picks. They have flexible uh, young assets. And – they have a guy who, I mean, we'll get to it later, who I think is a superstar in Jalen Brunson. Yeah. And it's funny when you talk about, like, where the Knicks are positioned because in some ways it feels like because the next superstar that became available is a point guard, the only reason why he's not a Nick. Like, you you feel like because of how they're positioned, what they've been able to build in terms of a culture and, and team success, and that the next superstar that becomes available – is going to be targeted by the Knicks, and Knicks will have a, a very good chance to get him. But because, as you mentioned, Jalen Brunson being what you deem a superstar, what I've deemed on this podcast as a superstar, is your point guard. And because he's, you know, undersides, it's like it almost – it's a good problem to have, but it kind of crosses off now superstar point guard that may become available in a, on the trade market. 
Well, also because of the kind of player Lillard was. I mean, he didn't want to come here, supposedly, right. reportedly. He only wants the Heat, um, maybe the Nets, but I don't think that's ever right. Happened. Yeah. But um, that's the only reason why the Heat are in that position. Um, is right. because of the demand. Otherwise, if you know, if an Embiid becomes available, I'm not going to name certain guys that could co- become available because they're guys I don't want. Um, <laughs> but or like even in, in a pipe dream that a guy like Giannis becomes available, right. you know, the Knicks are best positioned to get these guys or Luca. Um, and obviously we've seen Luca and Jalen Brunson coexist. So that's why I'm very confident. And I think that there's a lot of Knicks fans that are older than us that expect to be title contenders like they were in the 90s every year and think that if you're not there yet, there's nothing to be excited about. And I'm the other way around. Cause I think that there's maybe if you're, if the league was one conference, there's maybe six teams that I would definitely say have a better chance at being a top echelon team than the Knicks. And mm-hmm. it also depends on health. Like, you know, the bucks were yeah. unhealthy last year. So you never know what could happen in that aspect. So I'm very excited. I, you know, I'm not always the biggest Tibbs like uh cheerleader. I think he's done a great job. And he's not perfect, but he's been the best coach since Jeff Van Gundy's been here in my lifetime. Interesting, because it's like that is. And I love Mike I, Woodson. I don't, I don't, Mike Woodson's I, my favorite yeah, coach, but right, Woodson would be the other guy. But it's hard. It's hard to to argue against the success that Tibbs has had, mm-hmm. um, and he's done it. I, you can't say he's done it with like a, a loaded roster. I think that no. in many ways, this is a roster that has developed under his watch. So he's got to get credit for that. In some ways, I guess my frustration with Tibbs is I feel like for the 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 good habits that he's created and the culture he has built, he it's kind of like two steps forward, two steps back with some of his, you know, stubborn, uh, you know, kind of stone-headed ways when it comes to rotations and oh, his player rotations minutes. is what kills me the most. Yeah, and like and even like in-game strategy at times where he it feels like he's coaching on autopilot. Like those games kill me. And I think and I think some in some ways, because like the whole the Tibbs thing is like a whole seeing the kid Tibbs conversation is very interesting. Cause I feel like most older fans love Tibbs from what I see, or at least they think he's really good. And in part because like during their a lot of their adult years, like they've seen terrible Knicks teams and the Knicks team under Tibbs, for the most part, has been pretty good. And I feel like it's usually younger fans who tend to I hate agree, Tibbs. Yeah. I wonder if that's in part because younger fans kind of live and die with every game more so than older fans do. Yes, like, way more locked into the You're game. an older League fan. like Yeah, like yeah, and this is a general speaking. Of course, there are older fans who, of course, watch every game and are following every game. But in general, you have older fans who they have kids. They have a full-time job. Maybe they have two jobs. Uh, you know, maybe their grandkids, maybe they take care of grandkids, like whatever the case may be. Like they have a lot of other priorities. Maybe they have side businesses that are really important. Like they have a lot of other things that are important beyond just following every single Knicks game. So what, I think they look at it from a lot more of a macro sense, which is kind of what you laid out that look, like look at his success. Look at what, what, what he's done with this team. Like how can you say he's a, a bad coach where someone like me, and look, I do a lot of stuff too, but I think there are a lot of people in our age group and in younger who, because they maybe aren't working full time or because like basketball, mixed basketball is their life. They don't have a, the biggest, maybe the biggest thing, they don't have a wife or, or, or a husband or whatever. Yeah. They don't have like a spouse to, to have to deal with. So like they are living, dying with every next game and they're seeing <laughs> the mistakes Tim makes, you know, not night in and night out, but often enough to where they're, they're highly frustrated. And that's, that to me always seems to be the disconnect. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, and to your point, he's not a very modern offensive coach. I think there are upgrades no. on the coaching staff. Guys like O'Brien and stuff like that have helped. Yeah. Um, I think what kills me, like, that you can also throw in there that a younger fan might point out is his in his in-game sets at like crunch time or in an inbound oh, yeah, late in a game or bad. I they yeah. got better last year. They did get better last year, but they weren't perfect. And I think that the older fan sees Tibbs as he was a part of those teams in the 90s. They do. I know. And it, the, it, 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 it annoys me so much. Yeah. Especially because I think and I love, you know, I, I've I've said what I've said about some of the Nick Media members, some of them I love. Some of them I don't love, but they're yes, you know, these they conversations. All, yeah, <laughs> but they all but they all work hard and I respect all of them. But like I think a lot of them are either worked during those eras or at the very least kind of again were adults during those eras and kind of have a a very rose colored look at that era and therefore they don't hammer Tibbs the way they should. Like yeah. I think they give him a lot of passes. You watch these press conferences and they're not asking kind of just like basic obvious questions with stuff he's doing in game or they're accepting answers that are nonsensical. That always annoys me the most. Like, and I do think a lot of it is the residual from, well, Jeff Van Gundy always stands for this guy. No pun intended. And like, you know, he was there when they were winning. Like he was there when things were good, when we weren't being harassed by Nick's, you know, Nick's PR. Like he was there right. during the good old days. And like, I think they cling to that and now they're winning. So now they say, look, not only that, he's also been a winning coach here, which, so many other coaches that come here have not done. So I, I do think in many ways you're 100% right. They cling to his connections to those 90s Knicks, which is ironic because the Knicks know that, which is why every now and then they'll post like a picture of him standing on a sideline with I think Gundy on their social media because they know how much what, – what feelings that elicits. Yeah, and two things. One, like I'm – I grew for two teams that hold on to an era of the Mets with the 80s Mets, the 86 yep. Mets specifically – and oh, yeah. older Knicks fans with the 90s, like, I didn't experience that. They didn't – the 90s Knicks didn't win anything. And I laugh when these – when a lot of older fans have these high standards. It's like, well, you guys never saw a championship. Like, you saw <laughs> – right. and and this is not the crap on John Starks, but whenever someone compares somebody to John Starks, I'm like, he also had the worst game in the biggest moment of his career. That, like, any other franchise in the city, if that happened to a player, we would not revere him the way he's revered. I know. The other like, thing it's that, like, it's like It's like if Philadelphia revered Mitch Williams. No, exactly. yes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> you'd be like, what is it is weird. Yeah, and, and the other thing is too, when you look at this team, I do think I love this that he holds players accountable. I also think there's a hypocrisy in like when we talk For about sure. like a like a Julius Randle, he's clearly held accountable and he he tries, but he gets that lazy moniker a lot, sometimes justified. But like mm -hmm. Tibbs is clearly pushing these guys. The other thing I wanted to point to going back to what you were saying before, things that make me happy, you mentioned it development. For the first right. time in my life, going back to as early as 98, like I'll just use 98 as the litmus, like the, the line of demarcation for me. Yeah. Even in from then, they've never developed talent. Like no. they didn't develop the Landry Fields of the world, the Wilson Chandlers, Gallinari, none of these guys. KP never got better as a Nick. <laughs> yeah. And since Leon Rose has taken over and uh, Tibbs has come in as coach, they've developed guys. We've seen 
Tappen didn't get much better, but IQ's gotten better. Yeah. RJ, even if it's small, he's gotten better each year. Uh, yeah. Julius Randle turned into an all-NBA um, NBA player on the net. We've seen Mitch get better. Even if he doesn't like his role, we've seen him get better. Yeah, Quinn Grimes. Quinn Grimes, and we don't yeah. even know what we're going to get from him this year. We've seen Jalen Brunson take a huge step. Um, we saw guys like, even the, the younger guys, non, the guys that don't matter. Like the McBride. Yeah. Erico, they've both grown. And for the first time in my life, I could actually say, but we've cried for years for it, that they've done this right.